Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bice, and today I'm joined by two brothers, two friends, Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison. Welcome, men. Josh, what's going on, my brother? What's going on, man? Well, we're looking forward to the conversation today. A bit of a recap of the Just Thinking Podcast, episode 112, that dropped yesterday. Uh, we're going to be talking about the subject of preaching. We're going to be talking about the subject of women in the pulpit. But as we begin this conversation, we want to really just think about the subject of preaching itself. Why is preaching of such great importance? It was the Scottish preacher James Stewart who said the purpose of genuine preaching is to, quote, quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God, end quote. At the very heart of the local church stands the pulpit. And when we look at the church and how the church functions, and when we consider what the, the worship service looks like in the life of the local church, we should always see the centerpiece as the pulpit. In other words, everything flows out from the pulpit. The sanctification of the church is connected to the pulpit. The missions and the heart of missions in the life of the church is connected to the pulpit. Uh, the, the way that the church is unified together in love and the bond of peace by the Spirit of God is connected to the pulpit. The hatred of sin and the love for God is connected to the pulpit. Everything in the life of the church, in fact, the centerpiece, the, the central piece of furniture in the life of the local church should be the pulpit. And so when we think about how we arrange or how we function as a local church, we do not have the right to reimagine church, to redefine church, or to repackage church for our modern context. We certainly do not have that privilege. And when we think about the life of the church and how the church should function, and specifically how the pulpit should function, then we must be committed to the Word of God, as always, we must go back to Scripture, this idea of the regulative principle. We are regulated in how we worship God according to the Word of God. God has made it plain and clear as to how He desires for His church to function. And so with all of the controversies today raging in our culture, and with all of the progressive push and the trends and the social justice aspect, what we must consistently do is come back to the Word of God. As the culture is seeking to deform the church, it is our commitment to make sure that we are being reformed by the Word of God on a week-by-week -week basis. So this subject matter that you guys have dealt with is critically important, and we must take time to review it, to unpack it, to have a conversation. You guys uh, dropped a, a wonderful episode of the Just Thinking podcast yesterday. And so we want to just talk about it. We want to talk about the issues and we want to unpack some of the theological nuances. Well done, man. You did a great job. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that, bud. As we begin the conversation, I want to, first of all, talk about this recent announcement that we made about Just Thinking podcast coming under G3 Ministries and this ministry alliance that we're forming together. So we're tremendously excited about that. 
we have a lot of people talking about it, a lot of uh, friends and, and, and different uh, individuals who have commented online, on social media, and of course, text messages from friends and ministry who are talking about the wonderful opportunity that we have to further educate and encourage local churches far and wide. So, you know, we're excited about it and uh, just wanted to allow those who are listening to this podcast, you know, just to hear us communicate about, you know, the purpose of that very announcement. So let me just begin by saying to you men that it's it's an honor to call both of you guys friends, but then also to have you guys serving with us and alongside us, what we're trying to accomplish here as we're going to be producing audio and video resources and printable resources for the local church. It's an honor to serve with you. So uh, I could not be more excited about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in first here and just express uh, my excitement. And you know, I've got I've got kind of a toe in the water in in both spaces here with G three, uh, getting a chance to see and and know and experience all of what that means. And then on the other side of it, having you know, kind of kind of grown up, cut my teeth so to speak, with with Daryl and with the Just Thinking podcast. And uh, I, I'm excited to to say that really the idea of, of coming under the umbrella of G3 was not actually my idea, uh, though some may think that that was something that I, I kind of hoodwinked and, and bamboozled into the process. That was not my my original doing. I'll let Daryl speak to that here in, in a second. But I do want to speak, Josh, for a second about what the, you know, coming under G3, what that kind of means uh, for us with just thinking. And so as we talked about it and had conversation around it, it for us meant three things. One, having the just just the umbrella, so to speak, uh, of, of a 501c3 with the strength and, and integrity uh, with regard to finances as, as well as faithfulness uh, that, that G3 Ministries has demonstrated throughout the years. And so that's a part of coming under the umbrella there. The other piece of it for us uh, was what you talked about earlier, which was really the, the kind of pushing the fast forward button on uh, ministry opportunities with regard to uh, adding curriculum, uh, putting together just this top shelf resources from our podcast and the content that we provide uh, out to uh, local churches, pastors and leaders who have been already using it. Daryl and I have gotten emails of folks who are, who are saying that they listen to a Just Thinking podcast and then begin putting together their own teaching tools and resources uh, for you know classroom settings in the local churches. And so being able to come alongside G3 and have the resources to to help local churches in that effort and do a number of other things uh, is going to be really exciting for us. Whether it's audio or and or video equipment in in a brand new studio that we're that we're endeavoring to put together, all of those things are exciting for us. So we we we've got excitement on on a number of different levels. I'll let Daryl speak specifically to to his thoughts around that as well. Yeah, thanks, Verge. And thanks again, Josh, for uh, having me on, man. I appreciate this opportunity to share this uh, this time and this space with you two brothers who I love so dearly. Uh, not ashamed to say that at all. You know, when you talk about how G3 and JT, just thinking they'll come together, I immediately thought about that verse in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, do not two men walk together unless they have agreed. Uh, and I really kind of look at us uh, G3 and J, uh, JT as walking together, uh, walking together down this narrow gospel road that the church, uh, unfortunately, is uh, uh, seems insistent on trying to widen as it uh, continues to embrace and reflect 
uh, the world. Uh, so I, I look at this, when I think of partnership between G theory and JT, I think about that verse in Amos 3, 3. So, so the exciting thing about me, uh, from, from my standpoint about this, this, this partnership, this strategic alliance between G3 and JT is that we are like-minded theological, uh, ministries who, 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 who have been able to sort of align and merge together and come together really seamlessly. There have been no issues theologically, no issues uh, with our personalities, no issues with respect to how we understand the gospel and how we understand the, the doctrines of grace and, and uh, our uh, uh, principles of, of evangelism and ministry and uh, how we want to serve uh, God's church. Uh, all, all those things were never even points of discussion, let alone points of contention. Uh, so uh, I just want to augment the points that, that Virgil brought up. It's, it's really just uh, it, it's a strategic partnership. We do get advantages from the standpoint of uh, coming under G3's 501c3. But more importantly to me, uh, because when you when you consider we've been doing the podcast for about three and a half years, but I've already been writing on the Just Thinking blog for almost 10 years. So the Just Thinking brand, the name uh, really has a continuum of uh, almost 14 years. Uh, uh, and, and to take uh, 14 years and bring it alongside a ministry like G3 with the reputation that it has, and it is continuing to grow, that reputation is continuing to grow. Uh, this is just an amazing opportunity, and I couldn't be more excited about it. Yeah, likewise. And I agree with everything that you men have said. And of course, it wasn't my idea either. You guys approached me and we immediately just saw that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the two walking together and, and in many ways we are. And so and we were already. And so now this just strengthens what we're trying to accomplish ultimately for the glory of God among his church. And so we look forward to that. And so as we begin this conversation today, we want to talk about episode 112. You guys knocked it out of the park as usual. You brought up some extremely helpful points rooted in the biblical text and also unpacking some historical aspects to this cultural moment. So we want to talk about that. But before we do, Daryl, I just wanted to mention we have some some big news to, to drop today, and that's that... We received a really sizable donation, and in the memo line today it said uh, we want to help fund some voice lessons and singing lessons for Daryl Harrison. Man, let me let me go ahead and let me go ahead and let me go ahead and deal with this. Let me go ahead and deal with this. See. I was just playing around with you guys on the episode with the jingle. I was just really just playing around with that. Uh, I got, I'm, at a moment of inspiration, I came up with those lyrics. Right, right, right. And uh, just sort of dropped that on the spot. But see, what you guys don't know, uh-huh. what you guys don't know about me, is I actually can carry a tune. I actually can carry a tune. When I'm, uh, when I'm here uh, working out every morning, and I have the place to myself. I have the fitness center to myself. Right, dude. I'm belting out. I'm belting out all kind of joints. I bet. I'm, man. I'm belting out some Toto. I'm, bro. I'm. I'm. I'm <laughs> dude, I have had people come up to me and ask me, "Man, who was that singing? Who? 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 
who is so what you guys don't understand is that's what you got on the podcast episode bro that's just that's just a little that's taste. just me having fun with you just having a good time that's, that's just me having fun with y'all yeah so if anyone's listening to this podcast they want to know you know what we're referencing they'll have to go over to the just thinking podcast and and check it out but obviously you know you were just showing us a little bit of your skill and so the and and we appreciate that I mean the writing the writing on that was awesome bro yeah see it's like it's like <laughs> <laughs> so you you like the verses you like you like the, yeah yeah the, oh, absolutely that just hit me in a moment of inspiration man i came up with those lyrics and i'm like but the, the carnival, the sort of carnival clown music that, that was overlaid with it in post-production was just brilliant, brilliant. I only heard that the first time today, Josh. I didn't. I had no idea. So we did a cappella yes. Yes. on the recording of the episode. Then Dwayne came up with the music, yes. man, just, oh, my gosh, just took it to the next level, man. When I heard it, I was crying. I was laughing so hard I was crying. As we talk about episode 112, let's get down to business. Um as we think about the text of scripture in Genesis chapter three, we have this, this statement uh, that's made, of course, we see in Genesis three, six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Mm -hmm. Now, when we consider that, Obviously, there's a backdrop there, right? Before she ate and before she gave the fruit to her husband and he also ate, there's a backdrop to that. And that's in Genesis 3 verse 1. So just five verses earlier, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? End quote. So obviously there's the questioning of God's word, casting a shadow of doubt upon the word of God. And then you have this, this action, this sinful action of Eve along with her husband, Adam. But what we have there is we have what we call the first role reversal in human history. So the role of husband and wife that's established by God rooted in creation, in the order of creation, you have that the headship responsibility and leadership responsibility is given to the husband. And here in this text, we see the very first sin of, of humankind, and we see the, the very first role reversal in human history. And so at that very moment, the commentary that's given to us by the Apostle Paul is that Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, Romans 5.12. So the point is, is we have an extremely serious problem that happens at the very beginning here in the garden. And so what we're seeing in this cultural moment related to the pulpit is related to that, to that issue. And you guys did an excellent job of, of unpacking that and talking about that very issue. But I want to I want to further the conversation today as we think about in 2017 Barna Research Group pointed out that there was a rise in the number of women pastors. According to their study, one out of every 11 Protestant pastors is a woman, which is triple as many as 25 years ago. 
as we think about that, this current moment, it's more than a trend. It's really in many ways what we would call a movement, a cultural movement. And so help us unpack why it is that today we're seeing such a, a fast rise in the numbers, an uptick, if you will, in, in these statistics of women who are assuming the pulpit and, and being ordained to the office of pastor. What's causing this, this massive uptick? Verge, I think uh, your point that you raised in your recent article for uh, G3 on sentimentalism, man, really flows right into Josh's question, man. So I'm going to let you start, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, man, there's a number of thoughts that I had as Josh was kind of unpacking for us Genesis chap- chapter 3. Uh, as we looked at Genesis chapter 3, my, my thought went in a couple of different directions. One, with regard to the order of creation from the beginning in Genesis 1, you had God uh, and, and his word given to man uh, who was head, uh, and he was to be provide headship over the woman, and then you had creation and, and, and the rest of created order. And, and, and so what you, ha- what you have happening in, in the garden is, is the absolute reverse of that, right? You've got the serpent who's informing and instructing the woman, who's now leading the man as they do all they can to ignore the word of God. So you have that happening in Genesis chapter 3. My mind immediately from there went, biblically speaking, to Romans chapter 1. Uh, where we where we recognize after the fall that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, because man wants to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And after after Romans 1, 18, you have three things happening. In verse 24, as a result of their own rebellion, God gives them up, right, to, to their own lust. In verse 26, he gives them up again to, 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 to do what their hearts desired desire to do. And then in verse 28, you have another, God gives them over to a depraved mind. So you're seeing that impact societally, right? You're seeing the impact of the fall taking place in the lives of human beings uh, uh, societally. Um, and, and, and that's the edict of, from God, according to his word. What follows thereafter are just movements that bear out what God has already expressed through His word. So uh, you, you have the you have the feminism, you know, the, the, the feminist movement. Uh, and, and in the episode, we talked about first wave feminism, second wave feminism, and third wave feminism. Further there to, to further that conversation, I kind of pushed the envelope forward on the issue as it pertains to the church, because now we're still talking about culture. When we're dealing with feminism, we're still talking about what's happening in the grand scheme of culture. But what's happened is a lot of what's taken place in the grand scheme of culture has unfortunately invaded and impacted the church. And so as it pertains to the church, what you see happening is the idea of sentimentalism, right? Uh, the idea that that if we want to be relevant, if we want to, you know, we, we don't want to simply stand on the word of God. We, we've 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 abdicated the responsibility with regard to, to biblical and scriptural sufficiency. We, we've let go of that. We've capitulated on those issues. Why? Because we want to be liked by culture. Uh, and then what we adopt is this sentimentalist idea. This idea that we need to do whatever the sentiment is, whatever whatever people feel, we've we've made an idol out of one's feelings, uh, and then brought that into the church. And so, again, long-winded answer to how we got there, but it didn't happen overnight. Uh, it, it, it's been a process of absolute rebellion, and we see it uh, to the degree and magnitude that we do because of all of the issues that I just raised. 
Yeah, Josh, I would just add to what Virgil just said. I think a fundam- fundamentally what's underlying this whole issue of uh, women pastors and women preachers and why we're seeing an uptick of women in the pulpit is that we have a low view of God and of his church. Um, fundamentally, I mean, there's no way I can pretty that up. We just have a fundamentally low view of God. And one of the manifestations of that low view of God is that we have a low view of his church. And what I mean by a low view of his church, that is that we have a low view of how God has ordered and ordained his church to function ecclesiastically from the standpoint of the offices and then the functions that are associated with those offices. You know, you go back to Genesis three, verse six. I remember a couple of years ago, I was doing a, just a personal study of that text. And then I ended up doing a study on the word saw in that verse, uh, in verse six, it says, when the woman saw, and I think it's important that, that your listeners hear Josh, that, when that word saw in the Hebrew doesn't mean that she visually perceived uh, the fruit. That's not a visual perception that that's not speaking of what she saw and what she was able to uh, visualize with her eyes physically. What that word is saying there is when Eve desired, when she understood, when she perceived what eating the fruit would mean, what that will result in, that, that same word saw is used for uh, Samson in Judges 14. When he saw the woman in Timnah, that is to say when he saw visually, but then that was tr- what he saw visually was translated to a thought, an idea, a desire in his mind and heart. It's the same thing with David when he saw Bathsheba looking over his portico and he saw her. He took that visual image and then in his mind and heart, he translated it to a sinful desire. This is what we have in Genesis uh, 3, 6. And that's, that's what's working itself out today in the pulpits of many Protestant churches where we have now, uh, based on, and I love Virgil's point about sentimentalism, I think an, a, a manifestation of that sentimentalism is that you have women who are ruling the households in many, uh, in, in many evangelical households, either there is no father, there is no um, uh, mm-hmm. masculine father, there's no ma- ba- biblically masculine figure in the home. So in other words, the woman is, used, is, 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 is sort of exerting her power and authority for whatever reason as a replacement for that absence of biblical masculinity in the home. And part of that biblical mas- masculinity is, is that the husband takes the spiritual lead in the home, but he doesn't. Uh, uh, and especially as it relates to, I think, uh, black ecclesiology, Virgil, let me know if you agree or disagree with this, but you touched on this in episode 112 when you went and gave us a history of how within black ecclesiology, uh, especially in America, w- women have always played a prominent role in the church to where in the black church, having a woman step into the pulpit is not unusual at all. It's unbiblical, but it's not unusual. Uh, but I think sentimentalism, the uh, effeminate, effeminization, if you will, of, uh, of the culture, um, uh, the, uh, the uh, lack of biblical masculinity in the home, I think that's uh, bleeding uh, into the church where men are afraid uh, to take their God-given role 
uh, not in a domineering, simply domineering way, but Josh, you mentioned the word earlier, you mentioned the word order. Um, scripture tells us clearly that God is not a, God is a God of order. He is not a God of confusion. Uh, but we totally disregarded that the creation order manifests itself in the creation. That same order is to be lived out in the creation. Um, uh, so, I, 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 so I think we have here a low view of God as a result, a low view of his church. And when you look at Genesis 3, 6, again, you have the first occurrence in human history where we have the sufficiency of scripture being questioned. Um, what you have and, and what is scripture, right? Scripture is nothing more than, than the word of God. That's a simple definition for scripture. But in Genesis 3, 6, we have the first instance where the sufficiency of scripture is being questioned. And as a result today in 2021, I think the church, the evangelical church, the Protestant church is full of functioning unbelievers. We just don't believe what the word of God says. We just do not believe it. The church is filled with functioning unbelievers today. Mm, yeah, that's a good word. So one of our banners that we fly under uh, at G3 is this firm, unashamed commitment to the sufficiency of scripture. And uh, we we do not make any apologies for that. And so as we think about the Bible, whatever the Bible says, we refuse to blush about it. And one of the problems today is our culture is blushing about Scripture, and mm -hmm. we're, we're consistently trying to apologize for what the Bible actually says. So when it comes to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, when we hear Paul write that to Timothy, Obviously, there's some context there, but the the reason why we don't just take that text and just place it back in some historical context and say, well, he's only talking about this specific moment. The reason that we understand it to be something that's beyond the, the historical context and it's applicable to us in 2021 is because of the way that he roots that very command in the created order. Yeah. And in the order of creation, because the very next verse, he goes on and he quotes from Genesis, and he quotes about Adam and Eve. And so we see that the, the, that the idea here, the principle, is rooted in creation. I really appreciate what William Hendrickson says here as he comments on this verse in his excellent commentary. He writes the following, Let not a fish try to live on land. Let not a woman yearn to exercise authority over a man by lecturing him in public worship for the sake both of herself and of the spiritual welfare of the church. Such unholy tampering with divine authority is forbidden, end quote. Now, that's extremely important when you hear a word like that. Obviously, what he says is, 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 is certainly uh, applicable to this cultural moment. But again, he, he likens it to a fish trying to live on land is for a woman to assume the pulpit and to lecture to men and to usurp authority over a man. And so we, we need to be very clear on this issue because, again, this is something that's becoming very popular, not only in the black, quote unquote, black church, but also in just evangelical circles far and wide and, and across denominations. 
So when we talk about preaching and we talk about this idea of, of preaching and standing in a pulpit, this is one of the reasons that I have such respect for, you know, my, my brothers in the Presbyterian church. When I go into their worship auditoriums and I see their pulpits and I see the lofty pulpit, this masculine approach to the imagery that's there, they're making a statement with their architecture. And again, I, I don't want to get off, uh, you know, off subject here and, and run down and chase rabbits on this issue because you can certainly use uh, architecture as an idol, and we certainly want to avoid that trap as well. But there is something about the pulpit that should communicate masculinity. And when we see the pulpit today, it just looks so weak. And then we have this frail aspect, not only in in the sense of architecture, but then. When you place a woman there who's obviously not called by God to that specific post, I've gone on record in years past as stating that I believe that that's actually abusive for women. And so we should be ashamed to actually abuse women by asking them, calling them in a local church setting to function or to actually be ordained to the office of pastor. Well, I, I completely agree. In fact, I, I, I made the comments about that uh, in, in, in the episode. One of the, one of the things that I, I, I ra- one of the issues I raised that was the idea, you know, can you imagine you, Josh, you're speaking about abuse. Can you, can you imagine uh, Mary stepping up uh, and, and making the decision that it was her role uh, on the day of Pentecost to step in front of of Peter since she had spent the most time with Jesus uh, and to to give uh, the 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 opening uh, sermon so to speak and and seeing three thousand come come to Christ on that day y- you don't imagine it because scripture doesn't present that kind of kind of a role for for women yet in culture that's exactly what we see you mentioned that the masculinity of of a pulpit and I, and I think there's something very important there's a reason why scripture presents God as father right there's a reason for these kinds of things and it's not to diminish the role of women it's not to diminish the 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 importance of of women and and the, their function uh, and, and role in the family and in life, but it, but there is something about worship that needs to be communicated in such a way to God the Father uh, in, in in the way that that God designed it. It really goes back to something that I really enjoyed uh, the point that Daryl raised at the end of the day, and it's the answer to the question: Whose church is it anyway? Uh, if, if if we're if we're asking and answering that particular question, and God says in His Word that the particular role for a pastor uh, is one designed for a man, uh, the husband of one wife, and and it's not designed for a woman in that she is to remain silent. Who are we to question? what God has commanded as far as His church is concerned? He's the one who's sent His Son to die for the church. Yeah, you know, Josh, I was just, uh, as I was listening to you and Virgil, I pulled up uh, John chapter four, where Jesus says that those who want to worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think uh, adhering to God's uh, order for his church is one way that we worship him in truth. Uh, 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 We don't always associate that text with uh, uh, ecclesi- ecclesiologically speaking, we don't always point to John 4, but Josh, when you mentioned earlier, you described the church as a divine institution. 
Um, and that's very true. But as I pointed out in episode 112, one of the problems uh, that sort of uh, feed into this matter of women pastors and women preachers continuing to rear its ugly head is that we've personalized the pulpit. We've reduced it from its ecclesiastical prominence. Yeah. And as you put it, Josh, we've reduced it from its divine position and we've personalized it. So when we hear even men who uh, support the idea of women in the pulpit, they always come at it from a personal perspective. It's either about how they feel or what they think, or they point at the woman who they support as being in the pulpit. But it, so they always reduce it to a matter of uh, uh, human thinking and how and how I as uh, as a man or as a woman think or feel about this issue rather than what God has definitively said. So here we are again, trying to put a question mark where God's put a period. Uh, and you, right. and you talk about preaching, Josh, and I think about, uh, you know, preachers like present day preachers like MacArthur, Steve Lawson. And then in recent history, we have R.C. Sproul, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, Today, contemporarily in the evangelical church, uh, as I said earlier, we have churches that are full of functioning unbelievers. They're functioning unbelievers. They're, and what I mean by that is that they go to church, but they have they they don't believe what's being preached. If it's being preached rightly, if the word of God is being exposited rightly, they don't believe it. They're just there to take up mm space. So yeah. when it comes to preaching, we don't take preaching seriously anymore. Back to Virgil's point about sentimentality, we don't take preaching seriously anymore because we don't take sin anymore uh, seriously anymore. No one sins anymore. No one sins anymore. It's all about being nice. It's all about tone. God's not holy anymore. God's not a God of wrath anymore. He's a nice, yeah. loving God. So we don't want to offend anyone by uh, actually preaching the word. Let's not even call it preaching anymore. Let's just have a TED talk in a sanctuary. That's really what it is. It's a TED talk in a sanctuary. Um, and and I, you think about the, just the nerve of anyone saying, well, we don't, we don't, now here are we who are innately enemies and offenders of God saying we don't want to be offended. Let me think about that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's right. a good point. Yeah, when I think of just like innovation, technology, you know, if I think about the automobile, for instance, in the early 1900s, you have the Model A that's rolled out for production. And then, of course, you you fast forward to our present hour and, and we're riding around in, in, you know, greatly advanced automobiles that are far more comfortable and we enjoy that. And that's a good thing. Innovation advancement is a good thing. And when it comes to medicine or it comes to healthcare, the advancement of, you know, medicine and healthcare is a wonderful thing. Technology advancement is a wonderful thing. We're talking about space travel today and the possibility of, of space travel in the future and, and whatever your opinion might be about that. But, the, you know, advancement is a good thing. But when it comes to God's church, as you mentioned in the episode, Daryl, uh, it is God's church, and He sets the boundaries for His church. So we don't have the right 
to to read the Bible and to look at the local church and say, well, you know, we need to rethink some things and reimagine some things for our modern, you know, culture or audience or whatever it might be. We just simply don't have that prerogative. It's not our church, it's God's church. And so when you were driving that point home in the episode, I was amening you because that's critically important. Yeah, you know, Josh, as you, uh, so harken back to that point in the episode, um, I'm reminded of uh, the quote that I read from uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, where uh, in the quote from his studies on the Sermon of the Mount, again, and I said this in the episode, I thought it was interesting that in giving his illustration on how we argue with scripture, Lloyd-Jones specifically brought up the, the uh, uh, issue of women preachers as his illustration. And he said, we argue with scripture when it suits our thesis. We argue with scripture when it suits our thesis. Now to take this back to Genesis 3, Eve's thesis was, yeah, I would be like God if I eat this. Eat this in disobedience to God's word. That's my thesis. I'll be like God. Yeah, so let me do this. So this Lloyd-Jones was exactly right. Um, here we are. We have a different thesis. We have a different perspective on what God has said. So let me argue with Scripture. Let me debate with what Scripture says. Let me suggest that Paul was wrong on this. Let me suggest a, a new perspective uh, on this. Um, so 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 we 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 play gymnastics and we do somersaults and balance beams and um, you know all kind of uh, genuflecting to fit our theses into. Into, into the word of God where it doesn't fit. Um, so, but just like Eve in the garden, to, and I said this in the episode, to satiate our own desires and affections, we'll, we'll just totally disregard the word of God altogether. That's what I meant about uh, compartmentalism versus complementarialism. So we, so we have in, in Genesis 3, 6, Eve compartmentalized the word of God uh, to, uh, satiate her own desires to be like God. It's the same thing happening right now. Well, I have, a, I mean, think about it, the, just the, the absurdity. And I said this in the episode, the last thing we have a right to do is boast about what we have a right to do. Because when you come, when God brings you to himself, and I base that on first Corinthians one thirty, where Paul says, it is by God's doing that you are in Christ Jesus. You don't even have to, anything to do with the fact that you're in the church to begin with. And here you are trying to tell God what you have a right to do in his church. I mean, it's just absurd on his face. Right. And the only, the only way that that, the, the, one of the reasons why that happens, I go back to what you had mentioned earlier, Daryl, which is, you know, basically we have folks who, one, don't believe the gospel and, and, are, and are, are functioning, functioning non-believers, right? They're, they're in the church, they're functioning, but they don't really believe, they, they look at, church as an opportunity for their own personal advancement. Uh, we, we witnessed this with, with politicians. We witnessed this in, from a standpoint of government, uh, you know, officials who show up one, you know, once every four years, they show up for, to take advantage of, of, the, of, the, of the gathered crowd for the purpose of their face being seen in those spaces and places. And, and we've, we've done the same thing, unfortunately. Many have done the same thing, unfortunately, as it pertains to this particular issue. They see a platform 
that that can be uh, t- you know a- advanced uh, for their purpose and their cause. And and then rather than examining the scripture to determine how things are to function in God's house, they've determined how things should function on the basis of what's convenient for them. And and so that's what that's what ends up happening more times than not, especially in these instances where we have women advocating for their role as pastors in pulpits. Yeah, and I think both of you guys did an excellent job in the episode to drive point drive home the point if you will that this is not really about giftedness. This is not about, you know, intellectual capability because there are many women who can out-preach, quote unquote, some of the men that stand in pulpits on a weekly basis. This is not about out-communicating or, yeah, you know, out-thinking or being able to drive home a point or whatever it might be. Yeah. This is about God's order, and this is about God's church. And so we need to be committed to whatever God says in His Word and then just simply mm-hmm. obey it. As Lloyd-Jones said in that specific quote, you know, it's, it, we're not to argue with it. He mm-hmm. says, do not try to manipulate it. Do not twist it. Mm-hmm. Face it receive it and submit to it, whatever the cost, end quote. So we're just to obey God. And that takes a lot of pressure off of us when we, you know, just simply submit to whatever God says in his word. Yeah, Josh, I'm reminded of a quote from Spurgeon that I mentioned in uh, episode 112, where Spurgeon said, uh, you know, some of us take issue when we're not called to do somebody else's job. Um, That's a paraphrase of what Spurgeon said. And I think there's a lot of jealousy in the church today, a lot of envy uh, in the church today. And I think that jealousy, that envy, that covetousness that we see within evangelical evangelicalism with specific respect to something Virgil mentioned earlier about plat being one to be platformed. Uh, you want to be platformed. You want to be seen. You want to be seen. You want to be viewed as being important. You want to be uh, esteemed by other people. Uh, all these worldly desires for attention, importance, uh, significance is what's driving a lot of this. And, you know, social media is not helping with that because let's just face it. There are a lot of people, I'm sure, probably wake up every morning proud of their blue check mark uh, <laughs> on their social media platforms. And I think they I think they're proud of that. That means something to them uh, personally. Uh, so I think within evangelicalism, we do have people who want to be platform who want their name, want their image, their silhouette as as sort of a brand stamp uh, on a ministry. And I think that's what's leading to a lot of this argumentation with scripture, a lot of the misinterpretation, a lot of the, again, just the spiritual genuflecting around this issue of women preachers when Josh, as you just simply but profoundly said, it makes life so much more simple for us if we would just obey the word of God as he's laid it out and follow Lloyd Jones's uh, advice here and, and to just face the scripture, not argue with it. Don't try to manipulate it because I, I was thinking earlier this morning, you know, when Virgil and I drop an episode, I try to go on vacation. I try to go on mental vacation because Virgil and I put in so many hours to prepare for each episode. And then there's sort of, there's a lot of physical energy that goes into actual recording the episode itself. So once we're done with an episode, I try to go on vacation, but I was thinking this morning, just kind of reflecting on the episode and what, and the ground that we covered. Um, 
and about all the things that Paul said in his epistles that don't require nuance. Yeah. Paul said in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why aren't we arguing about that passage? Why aren't we arguing about why is there no argument between men and women about that? Uh, uh, no, no dispute, no disagreement whatsoever that husbands should love your wives. None, none whatsoever. First Peter 3, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. What, 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 what's, oh, we don't need any nuance with that. No nuance with thou shalt not murder. No nuance whatsoever. But, but when it comes to this one, when it comes to second, uh, first Timothy 2, 12, oh, no, 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 no. You guys, it's like, it's like Lloyd Jones said, we quoted him in the episode. No, that was just for his time. That was, a, this is another era. Times have changed. No, they have. If times have changed, by saying times have changed, what you're inferring is that the word of God has changed. You're absolutely inferring that the word of God has changed. And if you're inferring that the word of God has changed, you're actually inferring, inferring that you serve a God who's changeable, who's mutable, who's not immutable, he's mutable. Yeah, it's actually worse than that, Daryl. What you're inferring is that is that, that God actually is time. Time actually is God. Time is what dictates how things how things should function, not God. God is subservient to the times, to the changing of the times. So, so God, God genuflects, God bows. That's blasphemous on his face, that God actually bows to the times and, and changes of humankind. I mean, you've reduced God and his sovereignty and authority to be subject to time and its changes. That's that's absolutely blasphemous. But that's what that's that's an effect. What's what's being stated when someone makes the statement? Well, that was their time. This is this time. And on the basis of that, we can we can we can manipulate what God has actually said in His Word. I want to press the conversation just a moment uh, to a, a little bit of a different sphere, if you will. As we look at this current movement within evangelicalism, and we look specifically at places like the SBC, which is at a present state really a dumpster fire, and we look at what's happening there, um, if you go back with me just a moment, if you go back to 2018, just before the Southern Baptist Convention, you have a video that's released. Of course, you have this, this video by J.D. Greer. And the language of empowerment in that video is overwhelming. And he talks about this idea of empowering women. And then in May of that year, uh, just before the, the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in June, you have J.D. Greer tweeting with Beth Moore where he actually talks about tearing down all hierarchy, end quote. And so that's, again, the M.O. of the social justice agenda, to deconstruct power structures, to reconstruct, to rebuild, to control the narrative, to retain power. That's the idea. But interestingly enough, if you think about all of that, that's not, that's not accidental language. That's, that's on purpose. And if you fast forward from 2018, just three years, you have Beth Moore who has sought to press this agenda of women in the pulpit, this egalitarian sort of idea. And although she's left and departed from the SBC, let's, let's be clear that her material has not departed from the SBC. In fact, many Southern Baptist churches today are loaded down, their libraries are loaded down with her books and her resources. So she carries a lot of weight and influence. It's huge. 
and yet mm-hmm. you you have Beth Moore continuing this this agenda three years after this statement was made by J.D. Greer. And of course, you have Rick Warren just just recently, who's the pastor of Saddleback Church, and announcing that they're ordaining three women to the office of pastor. So three years after J.D. Greer makes this statement, you have Beth Moore leaving the SBC on these issues. You have Rick Warren, who is ordaining three pastors. And then you have the election of Ed Litton, who's been co-preaching with his wife for many years. Now, Ed Litton is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Us, of course, you know, that there's a massive controversy right now brewing with his plagiarism. But let's just go back before the plagiarism, the sermon gate, if you will, the, the whole controversy with plagiarism hit the fan. If you go back before that to the actual convention, when people are casting their ballot for who would lead and represent 47,000 plus churches, and people said, and you had individuals, in, 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 as far as the elite circle of the SBC, you had Danny Aiken and others who were presidents of seminaries stating that we should vote for Ed Litton, who would represent us best, end quote. This is, this is unbelievable. But again, people who are listening to this podcast, I want to make the point very clear. I want to make it so clear that we can see it. If you go back three years to 2018, the statements that were being made on social media, the, the agenda that was being pressed regarding social justice, this egalitarian move, and it, all of this was on purpose. And it's what we would call, you know, the Hegelian dialectic, if you will. It's this idea of thesis all the way to synthesis. And in order to get there, you have to introduce some chaos along the way in order to eventually arrive at your synthesis moment. And and we've arrived at that moment. And that's why it is that you have an awful lot of of pastors and churches that are leaving the Southern Baptist Convention like rats off of a burning ship. Absolutely, I I, I would I'd, I'd say this, and and we we touched on it. In fact, Daryl actually introduced kind of new language around this. Uh, but it, it while while it's narrow in scope, he, he introduced the term uh, critical pulpit theory uh, during that that conversation where he talked about it. And Daryl, you can elaborate on this as you as you see fit. Well, he talked about how we got to the point that we did regarding more and more women seeking positions of power within pulpits. But but go backwards, if you will, and look through the process. And what you begin to see is, is critical race theory and critical theory to the point that you just raised, the, the, the kind of the Hegelian dialectic, the idea of a thesis, antithesis, then synthesis is, is all at play. I mean, if, if you understand what's taking place, what's happening from a standpoint of the language that got introduced uh, during the time when it did, and then, and then the process of chaos that took place in between where we were, where we were dealing with, with, you know, issues around the language around critical race theory and, 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 and questions that, that need to be answered regarding that. And then the, then the synthesis moment where, where we have a, a, a leader in Ed Litton who has, has been comfortable having his wife uh, in the pulpit with him preaching. 
all of this was was understood, mapped out, and and purposed in its language, in its direction, and where we've landed. And so it, it, it's not a surprise to us, especially not to you. Again, those who who got together long ago and sat down and began working the the statement on social justice and the gospel, uh, you you understood. Hey, there's something afoot here, and there's something that needs to be talked about and addressed with regard to with regard to the issues around social justice and began crafting statements around it. Yeah, yeah, the point you make is is critically important, Virgil, because a lot of times people will criticize us and say, well, the statement on social justice and the gospel, all that's about is quote unquote race. And, and it's not. In fact, you just need to read the articles because we we talk about this issue of complementarianism and we deal with it and we could see that it was one of the boxcars on this social justice train all along. We've been talking about that. But Daryl, I want I want you to unpack this this idea of critical pulpit theory. In fact, is this the only term or phrase that you coined on this episode, or were there more? Well, I think there might have been. I used the. I, w- I wouldn't say that this is a phrase, but I used the idea of e-class, e- ecclesiastical egalitarianism um, and that desire for um, gender equity, if you will, within the church is one layer that really reflects the uh, commonality between critical pulpit theory and critical race theory. Um, a common, uh, a really fundamental tenet within critical race theory is something that's called interest convergence. So that term was uh, created and attributed to the late uh, Derek A. Bell, Harvard, Harvard uh, law professor who many critical race theories theorists rather um, regard as the quote unquote father of critical race theory, but interest convergence, another name for that is material determinism. Uh, You see that within the church with the evangelicalism as it relates to this idea of women pastors, because when those who, uh, who say or who support the idea of women pastors and preachers are reflecting this critical race theory idea of interest convergence and material determinism, by saying this, using the same argument, the same logic, the same rationale, where a uh, in critical race theory is said, it defines interest convergence as being that which uh, men in the church don't want to don't want to support women preachers because that means they would have to give their give up their interest in the power positions that they hold. Okay, so critical race theory argues that as it relates to. Uh, white ethnicity, black ethnicity, that uh, uh, blacks argue, black critical race theorists say, well, white people don't support uh, racial justice or racial equality, but they'll only support it in so much as our interests converge with theirs. So an example is uh, the uh, uh, setting fires to businesses, uh, Black Lives Matters blocking traffic, Black Lives Matters uh, holding uh, protests in suburban neighborhoods at 2 a.m., they'll say, well, if we wake you guys up and we don't let you sleep, then you'll get concerned about what concerns us. So that's interest convergence, and it's happening in the church as well. Material determinism is present within evangelicalism in that those who support women preachers are uh, asserting the thesis that, well, uh, the church is patriarchal, uh, is 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 uh, male dominated? They don't want to give up their power. That's why they have no interest in supporting the idea of uh, women preachers. So, uh, along those lines and others, you have critical pulpit theory, which mirrors to a T 
the impetus, the motive, the um, rationale, the logic that drives a lot of what you find in critical race theory. Uh, so yes, I coined that phrase, but I coined it for a reason because it is a reality when you really look closely at it. I think it's a it's a very important point to consider because as as you think about CRT, Richard Delgado observes the following in his book, which is basically just you know uh, a, a survey or the, the 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 outworkings of just an overview of what critical race theory is, and he makes this statement. He says, "quote The critical race theory or CRT movement." is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power, end quote. That, that language is, is very important when he talks about the overview of critical race theory because he makes the, the point that it's a movement. It's more than analytical tools. It's more than glasses on your eyes to, to look at the world. It's an actual movement. So I thought it was, it was brilliant for you to actually use this idea of critical pulpit theory because it's more than just, you know, a lens by which we look at the pulpit. It's actually a movement that's that's very much alive and well within evangelicalism today. And Josh, if I could follow your quote from that uh, book, I want to follow that up with another quote from that same book. Uh, because just to build on the point that you just made, listen to this, still quoting from Critical Race Theory, an introduction by... Um, Richard Delgado and Gene Stefansic. Uh, this is in the introduction. Uh, quote, unlike some academic disciplines, critical race theory contains an activist dimension. It tries not only to understand our social situation, but to change it, setting out not only to ascertain how society organizes itself along racial lines and hierarchies, but to transform it for the better, unquote. That's exactly what's happening with critical pulpit, critical pulpit theory. Critical pulpit theory has the exact same goals and objectives as stated in the quote that I just read regarding critical race theory. It wants to change the church. It totally wants to transform the church, as you uh, referred to with uh, J.D. Greer earlier, wanting to uh, tear down all hierarchies. Uh, this is actually what critical pulpit theory is aiming to do. Uh, and, but not only does critical pulpit theory leverage the tenets and pillars of critical race theory, it also leverages intersectionality. Mm -hmm. It also leverages uh, liberation theology. Um, and it also leverages um, LGBTQAI plus or whatever other characters I'm leaving out. So critical pulpit theory mirrors completely what the goals and objectives are of critical race theory down to the letter. You may see a little variation in some of the language, uh, but that's only because they're trying to sneak it in. Uh, so, for instance, with you quoting J.D. Greer or citing J.D. Greer earlier, Josh, about wanting to tear, all, tear down all hierarchies, that's a Marxist communist uh, precept there. That, that's, that's the language of revolution. That's the language of anarchy. That's the language of war. Uh, is what and, and, and really if J.D. Greer wants to, if he really meant what he said, what he would would have done is immediately step aside because him even saying that asserts that he's part of a hierarchy wherein he has the power 
to tear down all hierarchies. Now, if you want to tear down all hierarchies, you can begin by stepping out of your hierarchical position and giving it to someone who doesn't have that power. But of course, he doesn't mean any of that. Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why I, I, when I hear that kind of language, my immediate response to that is to see who's willing to step down from their position of power. Right. Uh, because all of what they're doing is aimed at a, at a, at a giant virtue signal. I'll, I'll go a step further than, than, than you did, Daryl, when you talked about the idea of, of tearing down all hierarchies, uh, you know, and, and how that's Marxian in its origin and, and, and language. I'll, I'll go back and say it, it, it's Genesis 3-ism. Right. It's 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 Mm -hmm. Satan. It's the serpent himself. Right. Who desired to tear down the hierarchy established by God himself, because at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're attacking the very word of God, uh, trying to strip it from any power. This isn't about the powerful patriarchy who has the position of the pulpit. This is about what the word of God has established in his church, period. This this is what this is actually about. And so when you think about tearing down all hierarchy, what you're talking about is is usurping the word of God for your own personal purposes and advantages. And when you look at it, Virgil, listen, you look at, again, going back to the point Josh made about creative order. Scripture is clear that there's there should be order. In, there's an order to the home. There's an order to the workplace. There's an order to creation. So now we're arguing, well, yeah, well, yeah God's. Uh, principles of created order should apply everywhere else except for within his church. Now we have an asterisk mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Now we have fine print that we need to read as it relates to his church, whereas everywhere else in God's creation, his principles of order should go without uh, challenge. Just, this is just absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we think about the idea of order, we're seeing, you know, again, you have those different spheres. You have the the order of of society. You have the order of, of the home, and then you have the order of the church. But you are seeing that challenged in all of these different spheres. And that's what these different waves of feminism have, have, have attempted to do through the years, is to, to challenge those, the, those uh, principles and, and the foundation by which they're built upon, which flows straight out of Holy Scripture, saying that anything that a man can do, I can do better. You know, that that idea of that, that, that you were quoting Virgil in, in the episode, I don't need no man, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. so talk to us just briefly, Virgil. You traced out some historical aspects of this of the of the movement of women in the pulpit. And you talked about the various waves of feminism. But help us understand how this mainstream idea of women preaching and assuming the pulpit was really mainstream in the quote-unquote black church before it was mainstream in the quote-unquote white church. Obviously, we, we don't like the idea of and language of, of black church and white church, but we're using that language here just specifically because it's a cultural thing. So help us understand how did it become mainstream in that space before it it was mainstream across evangelicalism? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I lay out a case— uh, for all of this in the episode. And so uh, I won't go through all of the, the detail of it, but it, it goes back to what we talked about at the be- very beginning with created order. You had God, man, uh, woman, and then creation, created order. And so this was this was God's created order. This is not something that, that I made up. All you have to do is open up the pages of scripture and it's, it's right there for anyone to view. The same is true and, and Josh, you mentioned it with regard to, to, to the home, 
to society, uh, to, to, to the church. All of these issues are, are there and relevant. What we saw in the culture with the feminist movement, uh, whether it was first wave feminism or second wave feminism, is the usurping of that order. Uh, and, and as a result, it had tremendous impact with the second with second wave feminism. What you had was the, the kind of the free love movement, the idea that, that you know, we, we need to cast off restraints around sexual promiscuity. And so that advance was, would, would begin to, to take place in, in all cultures and, and had, a, had, a, had, a, had a greater impact even in black culture as black culture embraced it, having come off coming having come off the throes of the of the economic challenges of Jim Crow and the like. So what you had in, in that environment as well was you had the 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 government stepping in saying, you know what, as you as these women who are now single, who are having babies, we will step in to that sphere and play the role of father. So fathers were no longer needed and necessary. The Moynihan report would come out in 1965 and present the fact that 26 percent of, of children born in the black community were born in single parent homes. So you had the absence of fathers, the absence of men. This is totally deconstructing the order that was to, to, to be designed for the home. And of course, as that took place, you had the same order being deconstructed in, in, the, in the church. And so you would see an absence of men in the church, the absence of male leadership in the church. The, the, the men who were there were open to the idea of women serving in roles where they no longer could find men. So you had women stepping into roles as, as singers and as leaders on, on stages and platforms. And so it just made sense over time to embrace the idea, to, to, to embrace the idea of, of women in the pulpit. And, and again, all of this goes back to social yeah. order, the order that God designed from the beginning, created order, order of society, order of the home, order of the church. You know, Josh, I was just making a quick note as I was listening to uh, to Virgil there. You know, Josh, you referred to, before you, you, you uh, swung it over to Virgil, you defined the scriptures as holy. You said holy scriptures. You said holy scriptures. And again, I'm just, I'm, in listening to you, I'm just brought back to something that I said earlier. All of this issue of women preachers is because we have a low view of God. And because we have a low view of God, we have a low view of his church. We have a low view of his church because we have a low view of what he says in his word about his church. And we have a low view of what he says in his word about his church because we have too high a view of ourselves. We have too high a view of ourselves. So we have a low view of everything else as it relates to God and his church except ourselves. This was the problem with Eve in, in Genesis 3, 6. In that millisecond, that microsection, she had so high, she had too high a view of herself that she felt she had a right to sin against God. And as we pointed out in episode 112, last thing you and I have a right to do is boast about what we have a right to do. We have no rights in the church. We have no, what what rights can we? It's like it's like the scripture says, you know, what it would be it would it would be absurd for the uh, clay to call out the potter for making the clay into whatever the potter wanted to make out of it. But but that's that's us. That's us. Here, here we are, a, a bunch of uh, human beings who are composed of dust. It says in the Psalms, it says in Job, when we die, our bodies become, that's what we are. We, we are uh, vivified dust, if you will. Uh, here we are in, in, as vivified dust, daring to say to God who created us, 
No, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna force myself into uh, uh, and bust up your hierarchy. I'm gonna bust up your order because I have a higher view of myself than I have of you. That's that's essentially what we're saying. I have a higher view of who I am, who I think I am, than I than than my view of who I think you are. So it's 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 a it's a cycle. This is all connected. Low view of God, low view of His church. Low view of church is an outgrowth of a low view of Scripture. Low view of Scripture is an outgrowth of too high a view of ourselves. Uh, and and that's that cycle has been repeating itself ever since Genesis three. Amen. Yeah, fantastic point. And as we think about the high view of Scripture, you know, again, the Scripture is sufficient. And we talked about this at the very beginning of the episode. Scripture is absolutely sufficient. And so that means that if we read something in one area of the Bible that might seem to maybe contradict something in another place in Scripture, the problem is not the Scripture itself. It's with our ability to understand the Scripture. And we need to study and we need to make sure that we understand what mm-hmm. the Bible is actually teaching. It's, it's the same way when we when we think about James and what he says about faith and works, and then when we compare that to what the Apostle Paul says about faith and works, and they're not in contradiction with one another, not, not in the slightest degree. In fact, it, it simply amplifies the clear teaching of Scripture. And so if the Bible says something on the left side of the book and it says something else on the right side of the book, it is absolutely connected in one clear vein of truth that does not contradict itself. Yeah, Josh, as I listened to you right there, man, I was flipping to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul is commending the Thessalonians in verse 13, where he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This is exactly what you're talking about here, Josh. The word was preached. The word was believed. And when the word is believed, it it works in the human heart. You see, but we don't believe the gospel does that anymore. We really don't. We don't believe the gospel does that anymore. Again, which goes back to my point about the church is filled with, with just functioning non-believers, functioning unbelievers. We don't believe this. We don't believe 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We don't believe the gospel. See, the gospel is is self-defined. Paul says it is the power of God unto salvation. But we don't believe the gospel is dynamite. We don't believe that Greek word dunamis right there. We don't believe that the gospel is powerful. We don't believe that. And the fact that we don't believe it is leading to us in evangelicalism, trying to deconstruct God's church and then reconstruct it in a way that we think is going to work better. It's unbelievable how nonsensical that is. Yeah, and that's clear. I mean, again, in your episode, you made a clear, valid point that the reason why it is that people are refusing to hold to God's boundaries is simply because they're refusing to believe the Bible. And when you when you start, and that's what we don't. That's what we don't want, Josh. We don't want boundaries. That's right. We don't want boundaries. Mm-hmm. We don't. Yeah, want I once had a woman who was was angry with me after I preached a sermon where I was talking about that women are actually called to be workers at home, and she came to me and she said, "You know, you actually underlined 
that verse that said workers at home. And, and, and I, and I was, I was taken aback by that specific statement, you know, as she was making that charge to me. And, and I said, well, you know, we can, we can have a conversation about anything you want to when it comes to personal opinion. But when it comes to the word of God, if I underlined workers at home, or if I underlined the entire verse, it doesn't matter. It's the word of God and it stands authoritative and we need to submit ourselves to it. So you, you guys, you, you did an awesome job of unpacking this issue in such a way that upholds the sufficiency of God's word. And it also upholds the value and the dignity of women, something that we should do. And I appreciate that. And uh, again, I encourage everyone to go and listen to the podcast so that they can, you know, hear for themselves how you guys are consistently not only quoting, you know, Lloyd Jones or Calvin or someone else, but you're you're quoting what God's word says. And so that's something that I appreciate about what you guys consistently do. Well done. Amen. And I'll give you guys the final word. Go ahead, Virgil. I'll give it to you, bro. Yeah, I, I would just say, man, I, two things. One, anytime we get an opportunity to be behind the microphone, we we kind of get back to to the old adage. We, we we flip pages. We turn pages. We open up the Word of God. We we read what it says. We believe what it says. We amplify what it says with with theologians. Uh, when when culture understands and and exposes themselves uh, for for the uh, depraved sinful human beings that we are, we acknowledge that and uh, and again it all all goes back to scriptural sufficiency and uh, and and that's what we that's what we stand on. That's what we do. It just thinking. That's why folks continue to to listen uh, and be a part of it. Man, I couldn't be more excited for the connection that we have uh, with just thinking and now with G three. And uh, and what we have going for going up, moving forward in the days ahead, uh, looking forward to great things. Josh, I do want to say one thing and follow up to something that Virgil just said. You know, as we're recording this episode, just a few minutes before we connected here, I had the pleasure of meeting an entire family who had uh, come by the Grace to You building, and as 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 many people do uh, throughout the year, just to get a, <clears throat> just to get a tour of the area. They may be in the, here in Southern California for whatever reason they see that they're, they're convenient to grace to you that they, they've uh, supported John MacArthur uh, and uh, have benefited from his ministry. Well, just a few minutes before there was a family here from India uh, who uh, wanted to get the tour of the building, but also wanted to stop by because they listened to the just thinking podcast from Delhi in India. Uh, so again, you know, when Virgil talks about how, uh, grateful we are uh, for our listeners. Uh, we, we do these episodes because, as Virgil said, we, we read the scriptures, but we read the scriptures because by, by God's grace, we believe the scriptures. That's why we read them. We read them because we believe them. Uh, we're not just there turning pages for them. That's not just a slogan. We turn the pages because we believe what's on those pages. And we encourage our listeners to believe if they don't believe uh, to believe what's on those pages as well, because what's on these pages is sufficient. It's, it's like Peter says in First Peter says, that we in Christ we have everything we need for life and godliness, and we believe that on the Justin Podcast. Amen. Well, I'm grateful for you, men. Grateful for your commitment to the Word of God. May God continue to bless you, and strengthen you, and give you wisdom as as you continue to serve Him through the Just Thinking Podcast in the days to come. 
And we'll look forward to seeing you guys at the upcoming G3 National Conference in Atlanta. We're going to have a, a great time of fellowship together. Can't wait to see what you guys unpack in your live episode there as a main session. It's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. So may God bless you guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Josh. We hope to see all of you with us for the G3 National Conference coming up this fall. In fact, just in a couple of months here in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find out more information at our website, g3men.org. You can also find archives of this very podcast on our website as well. We hope to see you next week on the G3 Podcast. May God bless.